And we're going to continue our series, Practice Makes Perfect. And this is, the, this is the final installment in that series. And today I want to talk to you around the subject, Practice Together. So we're going to take our text, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13, in the New International Version. And everybody can read it with me. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you care for me. Excuse me. Let me start that over. So we're just going to jump into our text today. I want everybody to read it with me. We're reading from Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13 in the New International Version. Everyone read together. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, I sincerely ask you to take this word and deposit it into our minds and in our hearts. Lord, this series, you have spoken to us so clearly and so practically about how to mature in you, how to walk in your peace, how to just find ourselves embraced by the peace of God. And so, Lord, we just pray that we won't just hear it, but we'll be like your word says, not just hearers of the word, but doers. The Heavenly Father will build that foundation underneath us that when storms arise, that we will not be blown over, we will not be defeated because, Lord, we're not just hearing your word, but we're applying your word to our lives. And so, Father, we just declare a commitment to you to obey your word and just to do what you say in your word. And, Lord, we just pray that you'll deposit in us, help it to take deep root in our soul, help it to bear a lot of fruit, help it to touch not only our lives but the lives of everyone around us. God, use us. We want to be used by you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to start kind of by reviewing um, what we've gone over up to this point. You know, in the first message, we talked about practicing makes perfect. And the idea not of our behavior, practicing our behavior makes us perfect at our behavior, but practicing the principles of God perfects God's peace in us. That if we really want the peace of God to guard our hearts, that, that, that what, the way we do that, the way we accomplish that is by uh, uh, really following the principles of God practicing those daily, practicing his presence, practicing his word, practicing the things that he established for us to do. And, and the result is he, he just em embraces us with his peace that surpasses all understanding, that incomprehensible peace, that peace that we cannot understand in our natural mind because it is beyond us. It's supernatural and it invades our lives when we find ourselves trusting God, relying on God, adhering to God's word. When we do this, it, it causes us to just be at peace. And we know what peace is. Peace is not that feeling of total calm in the world. Sometimes we want that to be peace. We want peace to just be that, that feeling we have, that emotion we have, that everything out here in the world is fine. If I can just get everybody to be calm, if I can just get everybody to just do what I want them to do and get all my circumstances to align, then I will be peaceful. That's not peace at all. The thing that makes God's peace 
miraculous is that it, 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 it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It really literally doesn't matter if, if uh, things are going to hell in a handbasket around you. You can still walk in the peace of God when you're following the principles of God and trusting God because God is not moved by our circumstances. God doesn't change or lose power or be less of who he is when things aren't going well in the earth. God is still God. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. He is still omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. And we can see that manifested in our life when we align our life with the principles of his word. That's how this works. So practicing the principles of our relationship with Christ produces perfect and comprehensible peace in us. And if we're going to be great at something, I mean, come on, really, we've got a lot of people doing a lot of great things in the world today. But if we're going to be great in something, I love what Pastor Scotty said, if we're going to be great at something, let's be great at practicing the peace of God. Let's be great at, at, at when everybody else seems to be completely frazzled and anxious and stressed out and don't know what to do and worried about the future. Let's walk in that trust and that confidence that, that carries that peace of God that says it really doesn't matter. God is in control and I know it's all going to be okay. Because the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. You know what that scripture basically saying? You can have peace when you're following God and loving God and doing God's will simply because he'll take every situation in your life, put it together and make it turn out for the best for you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, do you believe that today? You should believe that because that's what the word of God says. And then we talked about the three principles of proper thinking because we realized that the spiritual battle we're in is taking place right here in our mind, that we need to have the mind of Christ, that we need to think with, with a scriptural mindset, that, that and we learned several different principles, three to be uh, specific. The first principle we learned is the start and stop principle, that you can't just start some new things, you have to also stop some old things. If you're going to start thinking right, you have to stop thinking wrong and number two we learned the the make room principle that if we're going to allow God's principles to be alive in us and we're going to allow God's spirit to produce peace in us then we have to make room for that and we have to push some other things away and prioritize our relationship with God and the third principle that of proper thinking was the mindset over moment principle that a lot of times we think with an event orientation. We're the, what's the next thing? That's one of the reasons why we don't make room because our mind is so full. We're never just content in the presence of God, but our mind is full of what's next and what am I going to do next? And what do we got going here? What do we got going there? And it's not just that we're active physically. It's also that our mind is so active mentally with busyness that it's not we're not really thinking on the things that we need to think on. And we need to get in this, this idea that it's not just a moment in our thinking that needs to change. It's an entire way of thinking that needs to change. That we, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not physical, but they're mighty through God. The pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations and bringing every thought that is in disobedience to Christ under subjection to him. So here's what that means. It means that we take our thought life under control and we do not just allow anything and everything to come into our minds. And when fear comes in, we take authority over that fear and we start thinking faith. And when, when sinfulness comes in, we 
start thinking righteousness. And when, when, when doubt comes in, we start thinking confidence. We don't allow the thoughts and the wickedness and the evil temptations of this world to overtake our mind. And we don't allow things that shouldn't be coming through the gates of our eyes and ears to come into our spirit and into our mind. But we stand fast on the word of God because we're not just thinking for a moment. We are thinking with a new mindset. The Bible said we should put on the mind of Christ. In other words, we should think like Jesus thinks. Come on, somebody. And then we went on to the four principles of practic- pract- uh, practicing often. And we talked about this last week. You know, uh, it's not just important that we have proper thinking. It's not just important that we practice uh, well, but it's important that we practice often. And we learned four principles that had to do with practicing often. The first one was practice consistently. And we learned the power of consistency in our lives. That consistency, if we can really start walking in that consistent daily life, we learned about how often the word says daily in the New Testament. That it just does, it doesn't just say, if you want to follow me, Jesus saying to us and to the disciples, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It says If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me daily. It says that such should be added to the church daily, those that would be saved. It says that they prayed daily. It's important for us to understand that there is a consistency in Christ that if we can operate and function in, it will change our world. The the, the second thing was practice repetitively. Every norm, every value, every culture that is developed in and through us comes through repetitiveness or repetition. We do it over and over and over again. So not just consistently on a regular basis, but we do it repetitively. We speak the word repetitively. We uh, live our lives, uh, the principles of God repetitively. The third principle in the practicing often principles were practice intentionally. You know, I, I know a lot of Christians that believe their, they live their lives and they believe, I, I think, in a way that really more communicates fate, not faith. You know, we have this kind of quesarasara mentality. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever will be, will be. And, and we have the audacity to think that if we live that way, that whatever happens is the will of God. Listen, the will of God isn't just whatever happens in the earth. There's a lot of things that happen in the earth that aren't the will of God. I think you could agree. But why would we treat our personal relationship with God that way then? If you're going to live a a victorious, powerful, moving forward, mature, spiritual relationship with God, it's going to be done intentionally, on purpose. You don't deny yourself unless you do that on purpose. You can't take up your cross or the purpose God has for you unless you're intentionally doing that. It's not something that you just sit around and say, well, if God wants something to happen in my life, he's going to do it. No, it's something that you engage God, the presence of God, the spirit of God through the word, through prayer, through seeking his face, and then you intentionally go after the revelation that he gives you. And then the fourth thing is practice persistently. Oh, we know we're all going to face battles, and we know we all know that it's going to take us fighting and fighting and fighting through in faith to get where we need to go as a believer. Now, it's just the way it is. When we make up our mind that we're going to do something for the kingdom of God, we make up our mind that we're going to live as a mature Christian. We're going to be victorious. Listen, there's some fight coming. 
And because the enemy doesn't want us to affect others. The enemy doesn't want us to succeed. The enemy doesn't want us. And not only the enemy, the devil, but also our own flesh, our own carnality. And not only that, but just life in general, the world, the spirit of this age. We have to understand this is a fight. And the only way to win this fight is to not give up. Because in this fight, there are some battles you're probably going to lose. There are some times that you're not going to get it right. There are some times that you're going to take a whooping. There's some times that you just weren't ready. There's some times that you're going to struggle. There's some times that you're going to win massive victories in your life. But the, the biggest issue is to just not quit. The Bible said if we will, we will reap the harvest if we just don't quit. Just keep sowing the seed. Keep praying it through. Keep working hard. Keep doing the will of God. Don't give up no matter what goes on, and you will get through because persistence pays off. You may not realize this. We think of persistence as a physical trait or a spiritual trait or an emotional trait. I mean, excuse me, emotional or mental trait, but it's really a spiritual trait. The Bible even says that when we are patient, it builds character in us, and, and it builds persistence in us. That persistence is a spiritual characteristic of believers that no matter what comes, we will not be moved. This is why the Apostle Paul said, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So we don't let it get us down. So today, I want to talk to you about the idea of taking all these principles, but then doing the last thing that is necessary to do to become truly victorious in your spiritual walk. I cannot overemphasize the power of this last principle. I cannot, I cannot in any way be serious enough about this. I cannot in any way, give enough emphasis to this. This is so important. It, the, the rest of it really just doesn't get it done if you don't do this part. And I find that a lot of times that's how it works in life. A lot of times we start well, but we don't know how to finish well. Sometimes we, we are energetic and excited about starting, but we don't know how to complete. And, and, and sometimes we want things to work out, but we don't do the things necessary to the nth degree to cause that to happen. And I'm telling you, if we left this last principle out, it's exactly what would happen to your spiritual walk. And I'm just going to be honest with you that in today's world, we're fighting a battle to save this last thing. We're fighting a battle to save the way that people think about this last thing. We're fighting a battle that the enemy has a step established certain lies about it that people are believing. Uh, We're fighting a battle of, of hurts and pains that have been a result of this last thing. Uh, We're we fighting a battle of people who have, who have just gotten so into themselves and into their ideas and into their thinking that they don't want to do this last thing. Uh, we're living in a time that is pervasive or selfishness is pervasive, and so this last thing is a very hard thing to do. But I just I say all that to say you cannot in any way underestimate the power of this last thing. You cannot do without this. You cannot give up on this if you're going to be a victorious Christian, a victorious believer. And I want to talk to you about practicing together.
You know, there's this lie out there today that says, oh, I don't need the church. I don't need the gathering of believers. I don't need to be around all those phony, hypocritical Christians. I can be a Christian all by myself, isolated. <clears throat> I'm just going to tell you something that's very simply the fact. That is a lie. It is not true, and it is defeating believers all over the planet. The very nature of our walk with God is to be done together. The very nature of it, the very idea of it, I'm, you're going to find out I'm not just talking about t attending church. That's a part of it, but I'm talking about way more than that. There has to be connection. There has to be this, this commitment to someone besides yourself. That's the way Christianity works. It doesn't work in isolation. Now, I'm not saying that if you were lost on a, uh, an island somewhere that you couldn't still be Christian. No, because you'd still have God and God could still be with you. But that, that, that's a rare and a, and, a, and a weird situation. The truth is, if we're going to serve God at the levels that he wants us to, if we're going to have true peace in our life, we have to resign ourselves to the fact that it involves others besides ourselves. It involves others besides just our four and no more. It involves others besides just the people in your own household. You got to get this, church. You got to get this, believer, that in order for you to truly practice peace, you cannot practice it in isolation because it requires others to get you there. Period. It's just the way it is. I mean, the Bible even literally goes as far as to say in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, that when we isolate ourselves, we rage against all wise judgment and we seek our own desire. Do you know what that means? It just means we don't want to be around people because we want only our way. It's something we have to overcome. It's something we have to get by, get through, get over. I know that people have been hurt. I know that people hurt people. It's so funny to me. I get so tickled about the idea of church hurt because I know and I realize that churches have hurt people. I know that there's been some very abusive pastors out there. God help them. We pray for them that somehow they'll get themselves straightened out. We know that there's some manipulative cultures out there in different churches. But listen, raging against that and, 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 and you know, being riled up against that is not helping your spiritual walk. It's not helping you grow. If you're in a situation like that, get out of that situation, but don't get out of the kingdom of God and don't get out of the church of Jesus Christ. Go find a place you fit and continue to grow. I mean, are you saying you follow Jesus who you believe will forgive all of your sins and heal your body and deliver you from problems, but he can't help you through somebody hurt you? I mean, come on, let's be honest. You get hurt at your job. You're still working there. You get hurt in your family, even your immediate family, you're still in the family. You're still waiting on the inheritance. Your dad and your mom said something to you one time, hurt your feelings, but you're still okay with it as long as your name's on the wheel. Come on, are you with me? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why do we, are we okay out in the world and we still activate and we still connect and we still are a part when we get hurt in the world, but somehow some imperfect believer, much like yourself, much like myself, 
hurts you because they didn't understand or because they said something they shouldn't have said or because they were in the flesh that day or because they were being manipulative or they were being imperfect. And that's all of a sudden means, oh, I can't do church. I can't be a part of church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. That statement in and of itself, it resigns us to the idea that we're somehow perfect and it just reveals hypocrisy in our own selves when we say it. You got to get this, church. Now, I'm not getting on to anybody. I'm not trying to make you mad. But you know what? I'm tired of people believing the lie of the devil that says because someone in a church could hurt you, even a pastor, that that means church is bad. When you don't believe that about your job and you don't believe it about your family and you don't believe it about your friends and you don't believe... How many of you have been friends, hurt by friends that you've been friends with forever? But you still, you don't quit all your friends. You don't say, I'm not going to have any friends. I'm not going to have friends anymore. I don't do friends. Well, that too bad for you. Do you realize how funky that is? Do you realize how messed up that is? You realize how you're messing your own life up when that's your attitude about life? In other words, if I get hurt, I'm never going to love again. If if I get uh, hurt or disappointed in someone, I'm never going to hope again. If I get... If, 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 if someone uh, manipulates me, I'm never going to trust again. Come on, what in the world are we thinking? That's a lie of the devil, and it's holding you bound. And you know what it really is? It's unforgiveness. And unforgiveness will destroy you. I heard someone say it this way. Many people actually have said it this way, and I'll just repeat it. And that is, unforgiveness is this idea that you drinking poison, and it's going to kill the other person. That's what it is. You're taking in this unforgiveness and you won't let things go. It's not going to affect them at all, but it's going to destroy you. And I know people who have life in Christ is, is defeated. Their life in Christ is confused. Their life in Christ is disturbed. It's isolated. It's messed up. It's, un, it, it's unfruitful. And it's all because they've believed a lie that they can't be with other people or they can't believe in the body of Christ or they can't be in church because somewhere someone's hurt them. I really have a hard time with why we believe the devil and the world about the church, but we don't believe the truth of God about the world. It's, it's a confusing thing. And, 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 and I, I believe what I just said set someone free. I do. I believe that was prophetic, and I believe it set someone free. And, and if you'll just grab a hold of that, why are you believing what the devil in the world says about the church, but you won't believe what God says about the world? Come on. We need to get this. So I say all that to say it's important that we practice together. We're not going to be effective in our practice, practicing the presence of God, unless we learn to do it together. We're not going to be effective in our practice of consistency unless we have the accountability of together, right? We're not going to learn how to practice in our thinking well if we don't have others to help us to know the right uh, way to think or not, not the thing to think, but how to think about what needs to be thought about. We, we help each other. We edify one another. If we truly want the peace of God operating in our life, we need to learn how to engage in these practices, but engage in these practices together. And our agreement and our faith will bring about peace. Practice like prayer. 
Practices like studying the Word of God. Practices like small group interactions. Practices like corporate worship. Practices like serving. These are all practices that don't just that aren't just done in isolation or aren't just done as an individual. They are done together, and this empowers us. And think of it this way: the God we serve, the 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 God who 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 said of Himself of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He is one in three persons. He's three persons in one God. He is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We serve a God who is a trinity in the expression of himself. And we need to understand that gives us an indication of how we are not by ourselves ever in the kingdom of God. It's based on love. Well, how do you operate in love if it's only just about you? It's got to be done together. How do we really pray in a way that touches heaven besides just by ourselves? We have to get together how do we really learn the word by not just believing only what we're thinking about it by by studying together with others have greater revelation than we do come on this is the truth of the word of god do you know when bible says god created everything that exists including man he looked out on his creation in genesis and he said it's good it's good it's good it's good but then he came to one thing and he said this is not good and you know what it was man was alone he didn't have someone like himself so he needed a helper. He needed someone to come alongside. He needed not only uh, that uh, a vertical relationship, but he needed that horizontal relationship. We are created with an innate desire for others. And God put that in us because there's power in agreement. These are principles that are spiritually deep and go uh, and emanate from eternity and will last throughout eternity. And they have power in our temporal time frame simply because they are supernatural principles. Why is gathering so important? Why do we need each other? Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12 says this, we've read it so many times and we've talked about it so many times, but I just want it to get down in your spirit. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Either, either of them, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls who has no one to help them up. Now, you can think of that physically, but you can also think about that spiritually. Pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Think, think about that. Bible says in James, when a brother goes astray and starts believing lies, you who are will go after them. This is what the Bible says in the end of the book of James. You who go after them, you need to understand. You turn a sinner from the error of their ways, and you bring hope back in their life and get them back into a relationship with God. That is an awesome thing. If they fall, you pick them back up. I, I can't tell you the times that it... Thank God somebody came alongside me and said, hey, get back up. You're going to be okay. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? <laughs> I don't know why, but I always get a picture of a guy standing in the cold going, <laughs> it's just hard to get yourself warm when you don't have somebody else to help you. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Listen, one of the reasons we get broken in life is not because, we, not because we're with other people, but because we're not. You're going to get broken so much more when you isolate yourself than you would 
if you're gathered with other believers. So I'm going to give you five principles real quick to practice together. The first is the principle of gathering for prayer. The principle of gathering for prayer. There's a scripture in Acts chapter 4, verse 23-31, and, and I'll just read it to you. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through your mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, here's what you have to understand. This is after the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells us that we shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we shall be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. There's an anointing coming, they said. Go to the upper room. All these 120 people went to the upper room, and for, for 10 days they prayed, and they sought God, and they, 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 they just went after it as hard as they could, and they weren't alone. They were together, and they were believing God for something great. And they were in confusion because, because they had a, their, their Savior had been attacked. Their leader had been killed and then rose again from the dead. And now he's about ready to send the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly what he does. Sends the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that in in that room, when they begin to pray and seek the face of God and fast, in that room, the Holy Spirit descended and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's gifts and the Holy Spirit's power began to invade and be pervasive in their midst. And they spilled out of that room into the streets, declaring the wonderful praises of God in languages that they could not speak uh, other than the fact that they were under a supernatural voice and a supernatural guidance. And these people from all these different lands were hearing the praises of God go up in languages that these people shouldn't be able to talk, these Galileans. And this power came and this anointing came. And then people started getting saved and their lives started changing. And this was an offense to the religious establishment. They couldn't believe that this Jesus who had been crucified, we thought we got rid of that. We thought we stopped that movement. But no, now it began to erupt into Jerusalem. It began to have power and people began to get saved right there in the streets as Peter, the one who denied Christ just days before, now full of the Holy Spirit, stood out on the street and preached the gospel and 3,000 men gave their life to Jesus right there in that moment. And so you know what happened. The devil raised his ugly head. The religious establishment raised its ugly head. The governmental establishment raised its ugly head and persecution began and they begin to attack them and say you cannot speak in this name and we'll throw you in jail and we'll execute you you can't do this but they 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 continued and Peter and John were thrown into jail and they were trying them and saying stop preaching in the name of Jesus and and and, and the church became afraid now I, I need you to understand you you might just read through that you might just think through that and go well yeah okay but you need to understand what if that happened to us today what if the government said no more preaching in the name of Jesus 
What if the religious establishment raised up and said, if you don't preach exactly this, then you, we're going to come against you. We're going to sue you. We're going to try to get you in trouble. If, if people who uh, uh, were secular only in their thinking began to picket all churches or begin to come against you in your neighborhood because you believed in Jesus and you believed he rose from the dead and you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, what would you do if your livelihood was at stake? If people stopped shopping at your store because you were a Christian? If people stopped, stopped uh, 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 doing uh, uh, social events with you because you were a Christian? If your friends decided they didn't like you anymore because you were a Christian? This was the atmosphere. This was the culture that they were in. So what did they do? What was their answer? What was their solution? To come together for prayer. To gather in one place to seek the face of God. It wasn't enough to sit at home by yourself and pray. You had to get together. Why? Because the Bible has a principle. And that is this, that there's an exponential thing that happens when we come into agreement. You, you, know, you know, when we... When we pray by ourselves, it's powerful. Don't misunderstand me. And, and what makes our prayer so powerful is the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to pray with us. The Bible says that even when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray in and through us. Come on. We know we got the Holy Spirit, and our prayer is powerful. But there is just a principle about agreement. And the Bible says it this way. We, we talk about it in leadership circles and in management circles today as synergy. That when you come together, one plus one doesn't equal two. It could equal two. 10 or 20 or 50,000. If you have two ox pulling a, a, a load, one ox might pull 2,000 pounds. Another ox might pull 2,000 pounds. If you put them together, you would assume they could pull 4,000 pounds. But instead, they may be able to pay uh, pull 10,000 pounds. Why? Because there's something about putting your efforts together that has a multiplying effect, not just an addition effect. They, the Bible said it this way. One can put 1,000 to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. There's just something that happens, especially with believers. And here's what I believe that something is, that threefold cord that's not easily broken is because you're in agreement with someone who's not visible to your eye, that you're in agreement with God and with another believer. And I'm telling you, there's no power. Listen, you and others and God are a majority in any situation. It's just the way it works. I'm excited about this this morning because I believe if we can get the revelation of all we've talked about so far in this series and then add to it this idea of I'm going to be in church every time the doors are open. I'm going to a small group. I'm going to pick my small group from church of a gathering of group of believers more than I am any other group that I belong to. I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be there when my neighbor needs me. I'm going to be there when my fellow believer needs me. I'm, we're going to pray together. We're going to love together. We're going to seek God together. We're going to give together. We're going to serve i'm telling you it will revolutionize your life but it will revolutionize our community we want canyon saved everybody in canyon saved we want everybody in the west texas saved we want everybody in a panhandle saved this is what gets it done when we decide that this is more important than anything else in our lives when that day of pentecost came the reason that they had the experience they did wasn't just that Jesus promised it, but because they did their end of it. He said, go, and they went, and they went into that upper room, and the Bible says they were all in one 
accord. They got in unity. They got together. They got an agreement, and they begin to seek the face of the Lord. Psalms 133 says it this way, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It's good and it's pleasant when we come together. It's good and it's pleasant. And we're not trying to make a bunch of duplicate Christians. We're not about, uh, unity is not about sameness. It's about oneness. There's a difference. It's about complementary oneness. In other words, I'm not the same as you. I bring different talents, different gifts, different things to the table. But you also bring different talents and gifts to the table. And it's that we're believing on the one who is pulling us together. Amen. How good and pleasant that is. So how do we do this? Well, well, I'll tell you how. It's just this simple. It's just this practical. Go to church. Come to church when the doors are open. Stop making other things important. Let's not believe the lie that we're so busy that church is secondary to us. I, I'm serious about this. Be in church. Because I, I'm telling you, we're believing this lie that I'll go to church when I can get to it. We have filled our life up so much that we're going to church when we can get to it. And now the truly committed Christian comes once every three weeks. We have a rotation in every church in America. You, you, you come one Sunday that's off from the normal Sunday. You come, you're like, who are all these people? They're the people that come on the Sunday. You don't come. See, see, we need to understand. We can't, I'm not saying we should go back to having church every night and go back to having church every, because when we did that, we didn't get out into the community. We didn't touch lives. But we've taken this to a place now where we're not gathering enough. That's just the bottom line. Well, you're supposed to say that you're a pastor. No, I'm saying that because I'm a Christian. And, and I know what it does for me. And I know, I don't know, I don't know how some people do it. I don't know how they're, I, I just don't believe they're living the spiritual life they could live if they would be in the house when the doors are open. I just, I'm sorry if that's offensive. I'm sorry if that hurts, but I'm telling you, I believe that is true. So how do we do it? Go to church. We go to prayer meetings. When, when there are prayer meetings called, you show up. Uh, when there's prayer meetings on Facebook, you show up. Uh, when, when, when there's a youth group, you make sure your kid's at youth. When, you're, when there's kids' church, you make sure your kids are at church. When there's a special uh, a meeting, you, have, you go to the special meeting. Well, we have this on the calendar. Well, stop that. Stop that on the calendar and go to church. Come on. When, if God himself showed up and said, hey, I need you to move that calendar event there so you can do this with me, how many of you would do it? You'd do it. Well, that is what he's doing. That is what he's saying. Make your life revolve around me instead of your me revolve around your life. Ah, think about that. That's what we're saying to God. God, you revolve around my life. So gather church in prayer meetings, small groups. Get a part of a small group. As a believer, we shouldn't have to even ask you to be a part of a small group. We shouldn't have to go, come on, church. I want you. you think we're just doing that so we have a successful small group ministry. No, we're doing it because it will change your life. We're doing it because it will build you spiritually. Come on, family groups. Get together with your family. Pray. Get together with your family. Study the word. 
Seek the face of God. So how do we do it? We worship. We show up for worship. How do we do it? We seek God's will. We get into agreement and we pray. That's the principle we're talking about. Gathering together to pray. We worship together. We seek God's will together. We ask God for what we need and agree in faith that he's going to meet that need. We release forgiveness and we ask for forgiveness. We pray for direction in righteousness and away from temptation. We pray for deliverance from the plans of the enemy that he's coming against us. We worship and we praise God together. I can't imagine that there's anything that pleases God more when people come with open hearts, when people come with, with, with empty hands and just say, God, I'm here for you. I'm not here for anything else but to lift up your name. I'm here to lift up glory to you. I'm here to give it. And I'm not just here by myself. I'm here with my wife and I'm here with my husband. I'm not just here by myself, but I'm here with my kids. And I'm not just here by myself, but I'm here with all these people who've come together because we want to lift up your name when we do this together and come into agreement it all multiplies our efforts the second principle is this the principle of gathering for study paul told timothy study to show yourself approved he said study to do your best to present yourself to god approved a workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth Listen, when I was a new Christian, I'm telling you, what really developed the word in me was the fellowship of Christian friends. And we would talk about the Bible. And we'd talk about what we were studying. And we'd talk about what was next. And God revolutionized my life, not just by me reading the Bible myself, but by me interacting with other believers who are also studying the word of God. Because the word of God isn't just information. It's transformation. Come on. Dwight L. Moody said this, in our prayers, we talk to God. In our Bible study, God talks to us. And we had better let God do most of the talking. How do we do this? Well, we first, decide to start. Quit making excuses about Bible studies. Decide to start. I'm going to get in with some friends. We're going to do some studying of the Bible. Uh, the next thing is study the Bible in its context. In other words, get an understanding of what the Bible is saying in its original context. What was it saying to the people it was written to then? Study its cultural background so that you can then interpret how it could apply to you today. Study who wrote it. Study to whom they were writing. Study... Uh, uh, how, how to discuss each person's perspective. In other words, if you're in a group of people studying the Bible, listen to what others have to say. Listen to what God is showing them and revealing to them. And then take all that you've studied and extrapolate the message that applies to you and to the people you're studying with. And when you do that, I'm telling you, it will change things. Number three, the principle of gathering for group. Small group is so important. It's, I can't, listen, I cannot tell you how important it is. It's so important that I would even say this. You've built some communities, all believers have built some communities outside the community of faith. And there's nothing wrong with that because you can bring the light of Jesus Christ to that. I'm not saying that. But your covenant, your true blue, your ride or die, they need to be in the household of faith. Because it's in that setting that you're going to be challenged that you're going to be encouraged, that you're going to be lifted, that you're going to be prayed for, that you're going to be uh, 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 strengthened. It's in that setting that that will happen. Every day, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 through 37, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. 
So how do I do it? Engage in a group. Just decide, I want to go to that group. That group sounds like something. And maybe you're a mature Christian and you say, you know what? There's not really a group I want to engage in. I'm going to start a group. And I'm going to get other people to engage with me in this group. Add value to the group. In other words, don't just come to the group. Bring something to the group. God wants you not, you know, listen to me. One of the reasons I think that we're, we don't commit as much as we should to going to church or going to group is because we do those things for what we can get out of them. We're showing up saying, what's God going to do for me or what do I need from God? Do you ever show up to worship or to group or to any relationship saying, all right, what am I bringing? What am I bringing to God? What am I bringing for these other believers around me to edify, to strengthen, to lift up, engage in group, add value to the group, develop relationship within the group, and then allow deeper relationships with friends inside the group that will allow you the opportunity to become vulnerable and really heal some of the hurts, some of the sins, some of the problems, some of the past that you have in your life to be victorious and to be able to get freedom because you were, you were in a place of honesty and safety where you could change and be renewed and be encouraged and be held accountable. Pray in the group with and for the people of the group and remember the purpose of the group to find the freedom that God has for you to work out and work off all those issues that are holding on to you and keeping you bound. And the fourth principle is this, the principle of gathering for worship. Hebrews chapter 10, and I've already talked about this some, I'm just going to read this scripture and move to the next one. But the Hebrews 10, 23, verse 25 speaks into the future, I believe, and says something so powerful that we need to hear it. Let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. And let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Listen to me, God, or whoever were the writer of Hebrews, many believe it was Paul, was saying to us, they, they, he was saying to us, listen, this is important that you stay resolved. This is important that you hold fast to your faith. This is important that you don't give up or quit. It's important that you get together. Why? Because you need to encourage one another. You need to encourage one another to love. You need to encourage one another to good deeds. You need to encourage one another. Some translations say provoke one another. Some of us are provoking one another, but we're not provoking to good works. We're not provoking to encouragement. We're not provoking to spiritual fervor. We're provoking to temptation. We're provoking to irritation. Come on, somebody. We need to provoke each other upward and onward in our spiritual walk with God. And that is the principle for gathering in worship. Engage in worship. Bring your worship with you. Don't wait for worship to happen to you. I don't know if you realize this. When you come into worship, worship doesn't happen to you. Worship is something you're doing. It's something you're giving to God. Be consistent. Be consistent. Be consistent. 
Be expectant to counter God. Whenever you come to the doors of the church for worshiping God together with believers, you should expect God's going to show up. God's going to be there. God's going to do something in your life. Be prepared to learn and to receive and to engage. Be uninhibited. Let go of your pride and all your fears and just praise and worship God and receive from God. Let God use you to bring something to the table. Bring your time. Bring your talent. Bring your treasure in a commitment to God that will change not only your life but the lives of others. And then provoke each other. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. Build one another. Help one another grow. And the last and final thing is this. The principle of gathering to serve. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You see, service starts each other. The Bible said even Paul talked about when you give, when you help, when you serve, start in the household of faith. I know we want to reach out. We want to touch the community. We want to evangelize. But he said it starts in the household of faith. So we don't just serve the community together. We serve one another. We got to come together, church. Listen to me. All these principles are great. And peace can be had. But we cannot leave off the final touch, that final completion. And that is what we do, we do together. We can practice all these principles, but there's something exponential that happens, something multiplication that happens when we do these principles together. It's powerful when you pray by yourself, but it's more powerful when you pray together. It's powerful when you serve by yourself, but it's more powerful when you serve together. It's powerful when you seek the face of God in worship, but it's more powerful when you when you worship God together. There's an anointing on it. There's a blessing on it. And I'm just telling you, let's not isolate. Let's not be afraid to get hurt. Let's not be afraid to love to such a degree that there's a chance we will get hurt, but we're going to get over it, forgive, and keep moving. Matter of fact, just get in your mind, I'm going to forgive in advance because people imperfect just like me, and we never think of this, but just as much as we think about getting hurt, we should be thinking about, am I hurting someone else? We're imperfect and we're not perfect, but we're not going to allow that to push us away from each other. We're going to embrace one another and we're going to love one another and we're going to move forward in the kingdom of God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that a unity, a spirit of unity, a spirit of power, a spirit of agreement will come over the lives of every single person who calls some at church home. We pray that a thirst for your word will come over everyone. We pray for a thirst, a hunger for prayer, for, for, for being together, for being in small groups, for being in the house of God. We pray, God, I say it unequivocally and unabashedly, and I'm not ashamed to say it. We should be here every time the doors are open. We should be in group. We should be seeking your face because, God, it's what will change us. It's what will empower us, and it is what will bring us peace. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you.